Welcome to episode 161 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast about using, learning, and sharing our passion for Linux and open source. Whether you're a beginner or a master sudoer, welcome to the show. I'm Michael, and with me today are the Oscar winners for Best Podcaster of an Operating System, Ryan, Noah, and Dalton. Uh, welcome back to the show, Dalton. Thanks. Yeah. Glad so, to be here. So Dalton has actually been on the show before. He's guest hosted with us before, and we're ha- excited to have him back. And for those who may not know, Dalton is a contributing member of UbiPorts and Ubuntu Touch and an open source software and infrastructure enthusiast. You you may you may know him from his work on UbiPorts, and he also has stuff that we we were actually kind of jealous of earlier in the show when he's, we started recording. Yes. He was like, "Hey, I got a bunch of Pine devices." He pull, he pulls out the Pine tab and the Pine phone and just basically everything Pine related. And uh, yeah, so we're a little bit jealous. But do you have any secrets about the Pine that you can give us? You know, yeah, give us some secrets. Oh, some secrets. Well, I don't know if I can do that, but you wow. can head over to pine64.org <laughs> right now. And there's been a post uh, posted yesterday about all of the new developments in Pine64, including how production is being rescheduled amid the coronavirus outbreak and some other new hardware announcements that they made at FOSDEM. Oh, whoa. Well, I'm looking forward that to that. sounds exciting. So you can go over to pine64.org for all that. Awesome. We'll definitely do that. So how, how are things going with UbiPorts right now for you? Everything is going awesome. We are gearing up for our next update of Ubuntu Touch, which has been a little bit longer since the last, but it um, is going to be a huge update for everyone with a huge rework of underlying technologies and just things that really needed to happen to make the entire system faster, more responsive, better to use, and more convergent. Oh, oh yeah, buzzword. yeah. Buzzword bingo, everyone. Convergence in Bitcoin uh, <laughs> or no. blockchain. Blockchain, no, no. Yeah. no. Uh, okay, it's not a blockchain operating system. Okay, um, maybe someday. Maybe someday. Mm-hmm. Things that have been happening. We've got lots of app updates, including updates to Teleports, our Telegram client. Oh, geez, what else has happened since I've been on last? It feels like everything almost. Um, so, if you want to get up to date on any of that, you can head over to ubiports.com/blog. Nice, nice. So we're going to talk about the Pine phone later in the episode, and I'm sure you have been busy playing with that over at UB Ports as well. Oh, look at that, showing the phone off. It is. It's got a Pine (laughs) logo on it and everything. And it it makes calls. It does SMS. It has a battery. It It has a battery. Wow. All of those cool things. I can't wait to get into it. It makes calls asterisk. It still requires manual commands and work, but. Getting there. That's why it's called Braveheart. But yep. Yep. Anyway, so Ryan, how have you been this week? So I have received some questions about since our last episode, we talked about switching out VirtualBox with utilizing Vert Manager, QEMU, and KVM virtualization. And we've been starting to receive questions not only in Destination Linux, but my own channel asking about hey, can it do this? How do you set it up? How does it work? Does it have these options that VirtualBox has and all those things? So I'm very happy that people are very excited about this and want to check it out. So I'm going to be doing some videos around setting up QEMU and KVM virtualization on my channel. So as a beginner, if you're a beginner too, perfect time to tune in and watch those videos on virtualizing and using that technology. But also we released Hardware Addicts 3, which is getting really popular and getting tons of great feedback from the community. We're very, very excited about that. And in Hardware Addicts 3, this podcast, part of the Destination Linux Network, discusses the best CPU cooling solutions out there and has a camera corner 
with Wendy, where she starts filling everybody's brains about cameras and getting that conversation started. So if you're not aware of Hardware Addicts, go download that on your podcast app. Yeah, absolutely. And also like there was, it's interesting because we, when the, in the conversation, she starts explaining to us about point and shoots and we were like, yeah, there's, there's nothing special about these. And then she goes off in this thing. Like there's actually like a pro level of point and shoot cameras. Like why, why does that anyway, but she explains that and it's really interesting. So you definitely check yeah. that out. So Noah, what's new in your world? We made the announcement on on uh, on Tuesday for the launch of the Linux Delta Wiki, and so the idea again, we kind of talked about it a little bit last week on Destination Linux, but the the primary purpose, the reason that I started Ask Noah was to try to give back to the community and allow a sharing of knowledge. And of course, the problem with the show is there's only an hour a week, and so people that have questions that might not make for interesting airtime or things that I might not have the answer to or the expertise to, we'd like a way for that community to be able to connect and to be able to share that knowledge cumulatively and so we launched the linux wiki or linux delta wiki and you can get to it by going to wiki.linuxdelta.com uh, i started by publishing uh, some of the most popular guides that i have been asked for we've talked about them on this show i've talked about them on ask noah it's the guide to set up yubikey for ssh a one uh, a one device that you have that you can carry an ssh into all of your servers securely you can change from one computer to the other without having to worry about generating new private keys because the private key is never given up from the key how to set up Kodi MD. We use that here for show notes as well as I use it on Ask Noah. And a lot of people have asked, how do I set up Kodi MD? And I know Ryan is a big fan of Cloud Run, and that's a great way to go. And it's a very easy and straightforward way to set it up. But if you don't want the overhead of having this other stuff set up and you just want Kodi MD, maybe you want to run it on like a Raspberry Pi or maybe a, a small server with just 100 and some megs of RAM. You can do that. And we show you how to set that up step-by-step -step guide. Every guide is written uh, in a step-by-step -step format. So you don't necessarily have to understand the steps you're doing. Of course, there is explanations to show you what each of the commands does because we want you to be a command line ninja. But um, if you don't understand, you don't have to worry about it. You just have to know that you want the end result. We've got guides on how to set up self-hosted VS Code server, libvirt, which Ryan was just talking about. If you see the video and say, hey, that's really cool and I, and I understand now why I would want to set up KVM, what were, what were those exact steps? Do I have to have the YouTube video open and, and, and seek around or is there a way that I can just document that? Um, because it's a wiki, Ryan can go and say, well, here's the steps that I did. I did a slightly different way and I found that under this particular operating system because I did it on Arch maybe, whereas where when I set it up, I set it up on CentOS, you know, he can go back and say, well, you would be these second these sets of commands or or these separate things and he can just take my guide and copy it over and say now the operating system is arch and now the community has that resource uh set up wireguard for a vpn we've gotten that question on this show a couple of times oh yeah c file server and the community has added things like pass i had never set up pass a standard unix password manager um and i had no idea how to do that or how to secure it with gpg but a community member by the name of Antok42 was kind enough to go through and 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 show us exactly how he uses uh, the the pass password manager um, and and put together a very good guide and so uh, it's it's starting to come together and that's starting to become a resource and so we're proud of it and we're happy with it and, and I I really hope that that continues down what was started back in 2015 with sharing knowledge with other Linux using and and empowering them to manage their own system and 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 then be able to give back to the community you know you were talking about Wendy and how she uh, was able to talk about this camera. I met some folks when I was doing a speaking engagement at the local university. 
And I was talking about open source and open source security and the benefit of it. And out of that discussion, four or five students came up to me afterwards and said, could you help us install Linux on our laptops? We'd be interested in this. And today, that was six, seven years ago. Today, these are some of the most uh, entrenched Linux users you'll ever meet. And now they have started a new site. Uh, has nothing to do with Linux, but they're, they're, they have a new site. And all of their videos are being edited under Lightworks, under Linux. They're being shared and their file server is being run on FreeNAS. And I now go to them when I have Lightworks questions and say, hey, I need to do this very complicated <laughs> video thing. How do I do that? And just six, seven years ago, they'd never even heard of Linux, right? right? And so this is where the true value in the community is because you let people, you give people enough information to get them started. And then they will go out and build their own empire and they're willing to share that empire back with you when you need it. So awesome. I, I'm excited because I, I think this is a, I, I, I think this is going to be a really cool thing. I really love the page. I love the design, the simplicity of it. Um, first of all, if you just go to linuxdelta.com, you'll see a big check out Linux Delta new wiki. That's what you want to click on if you want to know what we're talking about. And then you can just click on any of these guides here. And like you said, it's laid out simple. All the commands there are available. If you want to cut and paste, if you want to do more research, do? has the explanation of what they are. There's not a bunch of fuss. There's not 16,000 ads swimming in your face. There's just the, the information to get it set up really well done. So, Michael, what have you been up to this week? Quite a few things. In fact, I brought back the Linux, the Linux podcast that I do for This Week in Linux, which is a Linux GNU's show. And uh, this is the second episode I brought back, and I'm excited about it because I actually released it the, like, the morning of this recording. So that's fantastic for me because it's kind of like uh, I, I was always kind of like running behind with the show, and it would, it would get released, but it would be released a little bit late. And now I actually did it on time, and I'm ecstatic. So wait, are we going to get a live version of this show soon? Too? Yes. Is that going to come back? Yes. The live streaming versions will be coming back. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when, cause I still have to get back into the groove of doing it again, like in the on time part. And, uh, but that'll be pretty soon. I think in the next couple of weeks or so, it will be, I'll be starting doing the live again as well, which I'm super excited about as well. Cause the, one of the things that I've noticed that not doing it live is that if I make a mistake, there's no one in the chat to correct me and allow me to fix it. So it turns out that's a valuable asset <laughs> anyway. Um, but I'm also been doing a lot of uh, prepping for some distro hopping that I'm about to do. So I've decided to, I mean, I've been doing a little bit of distro hopping here and there, but nothing like big like tasks. And it's been a long time since I've actually distro hopped. I mean, basically since I've started work, uh, doing this show, I've been on the same distro the entire time. So it's Boring. just... Boring. Uh, okay. Uh, I was thinking that's stability and important, but sure, sure, boring. Okay, yeah, it's kind of gotten to the point where I'm a little bored by having the same things work all the time. But uh, it's it's just kind <laughs> of something I wanted to just try out. Like it's been a while since I tried other distros and different other desktop environments, and so the, for the most part, I'll be still using Plasma, but occasionally here and there, I'll put in something else. But uh, so I'm looking forward What's to it. What's first on your list? Like what, I haven't what are some decided. You're honestly, to try? I haven't decided. Manjaro's got to be on the list. OpenSUSE has got to be on the list. Solus has to be on. The All list. of those are on the right. list. Yes. All okay, of those. Uh, also, Kubuntu uh, 20.04 beta version. I'm going to try that one too. Um, but I haven't really decided. I have a what's... feeling you're going to try Kubuntu 20.04, and that's where well next week will be. So I tried Kubuntu 20.04, and I'm not distro hopping anymore. And everything I said in the last episode's over. I'll make works. that in the last list. Everything just How works about that? fine. It'll, uh, it'll yeah, it make it last. It won't be. It won't. Yeah, it won't be my first choice. But 
so I will be doing uh, at least a few jumps here and there. And the best thing about it is that I structured it so that uh, I moved all my important files to external drives. That's how I was getting ready to do the, the distro hopping. So I moved everything uh, to different drives so that I can just have a new operating system drive. And if I need to wipe it or, you know, play with a new thing, I don't have to lose any of my settings because it's all stored on external drives. So, and that's one of the things about, like, it's awesome about the FlexiDoc because it allows me to do that. So I am excited to do some distro hops. And uh, yeah, I'll report back next week to let you know what I used. Kubuntu 2004. What, maybe. The next five years. <laughs> this episode of Destination Linux and the entire Destination Linux network is now sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. I'm a big fan of DigitalOcean because actually this is interesting story, I think, anyway. They make it so easy to manage your droplets, even remotely, and you can configure them and, and do all kinds of stuff. So last time I was at Ryan's house, we were going to record DL, and then after the process was over, I was talking about how I needed to upgrade the DLN discourse forum. And I was like, I have to wait to get back to my stuff because I didn't bring all my access keys and all that stuff. And Ryan's like, couldn't you just do it from their dashboard? And I haven't tried to do that, so... I was like, well, let's try it. And yeah, sure enough, you can. So instead of adding a task to my to-do list, I just went into DigitalOcean dashboard and just upgraded the system yep. there. And, you know, it was just so much smoother and really nice experience. And you can get all this plus access to a world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Or you can use their pl- flexible pricing structure for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. And as Ryan would say, that's darn near free. Uh, DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for two months for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. Again, well, wait, Michael. Hold on. We've that? changed now. It's not DL anymore. It's DLN. Correct. And that's because DigitalOcean doesn't just sponsor Destination Linux anymore. They sponsor every show. Right. On the network. The whole network. That means Linux for everyone. Hardware addicts. All of them are now sponsored. DOS Geek Channel. Tux Digital. All of it. Digital Ocean came in once to sponsor the entire network. Yes. It was was Huge thanks to them. Huge thanks. It's it's really awesome. And again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And we thank DigitalOcean again for sponsoring this episode and the whole network for Destination Linux. In our community feedback this week, Avinash writes in to say, Greetings to everyone. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who makes the show so enjoyable to listen to. I'm a common Linux user on Ubuntu, and I love listening to your shows via podcasts when commuting or before going to bed. There are many normal users like me who enjoy using Linux but don't really engage with the community at large, as we don't feel like we have the technical knowledge as you all do. But from all normal Linux users like me, thank you for the great shows and vibes about Linux. Keep up the good work. Regards, Avinash. What an awesome email. That is awesome. Thank you for sending that in. But I do want to say that, you know, having that technical knowledge doesn't shouldn't keep people back from getting into the Linux communities. Like our Telegram forum, for instance, there are people from developers that release distros, package managers, all the way to people who are just still using Windows who come in there and say, hey, I, I'm putting Linux on a VM and, and want to learn more about this. And everyone is welcome. Absolutely. In the moment that they're not, and we have someone come in and like, get out here with this or that, we pull them aside and say, hey, you're either going to contribute to the community and work with people, even if you don't agree with them, you can criticize ideas, but not people, 
or we boot them out. And that's one of the advantages of having such a big group in Telegram where we can boot people out and you won't even notice um, if they're not (laughs) cooperating and being nice to other individuals. So this is very important to us. We have gotten reports. Sometimes we don't watch the forums 24-7, but sometimes in the Telegram group, we'll get reports after the fact that somebody was talking to somebody rude or whatnot. And we pull those folks privately aside and tell them to stop. And that's what we've created here, I think, in our discourse forum and our Telegram groups and I know Noah's big on this as well as everyone else that we want people to get along, to work well. And then you can criticize idea. You could be like, I don't like Arch because X, Y, Z, but not the people. You don't you know, come in and, and attack them. So my point is, don't be afraid to engage with the community because you don't feel like you have the technical knowledge, especially in our community. There's some places where maybe that's the case, but in our community, we want people like you to engage with the community, to bring your experiences, to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because maybe you're brand new to Linux and your experience isn't great. Bring that to the Telegram group because there might be somebody there who can help you. Heck, there might even be a developer there that works on that distro that'll fix it right there on the spot. You never know. So yeah. um, just keep that in mind. And thank you for sending such an awesome email. Yeah, that is awesome. And and this it goes to the point where like we that's why we open the show the way we do. We're talking about whether you're a beginner or a master pseudoware. It doesn't matter because we want this show to be for everyone and we want, and our community is also for everyone. So no matter what user experience you have, don't, don't hesitate to join the community for whether it's the telegram group, the discord uh, server or the discourse forum. We have everybody's welcome to use whatever platform you would, you prefer and uh, definitely join the community because it's, it's an awesome experience and I think you'll enjoy it as well as, you know, get as, as Ryan said, you might even get some people to give you help and build stuff directly for you just because you, were ever there to ask just don't mention plasma and any of our stuff because michael shows up and then it's two and a half hours of plasma conversation i mean okay please stay away from that you can bring it up but it's just embarrassing because then michael won't shut up that's true to bring a distro insight into it one of the things that i like to think with ub ports and ubuntu touch is we were all new at one point I mean, I was not a developer when I joined the UbiPorts community, and I was not even thinking about going into that line of work. So we were all new at one point, and we want to, uh, just like people helped us up to where we are, we want to help you to get to wherever you want to be, or maybe somewhere you don't even know you want to be yet. Yeah, good point. So Ken writes in to us and says, hey there, I'm new to your show. I've listened to episodes 154 to 159, and I've enjoyed every single one of them. I think you need to do a show reviewing stools. I think that's a great idea, Ken. I'm down. He said, I love the banter. Do you have any shows that give advice to Linux newbies or people like me who are not newbies but are still learning Linux? Like, for example, what distros to start with, how Linux differs from Windows or Mac, and what are the differences between the different desktop environments? So I think we have on the network a really good range of shows that cover multiple topics. I remember when I was getting into Linux for the first time, when I'm about to learn something, I completely envelop myself into it. I read books, I download podcasts, I watched YouTube. I did everything I could so that when I was going to do the 30 days of challenge, I could be as educated as possible about what I was talking about. And many of you who've watched that realize all the mistakes I made that the community helped fix even with all that education, but I did my best. But I think we have a good range of shows that you want to listen to and you're going to absorb and all of a sudden that foreign language, like when I would listen to Noah's show back in the day when I was just getting into Linux, it sounded like a foreign language he was speaking many times. But then all of a sudden, 
all these words he was saying started to make sense, right? It started to be put into the puzzle of what I was learning. I think Linux for Everyone on our show is a really good podcast too for new people because Jason is just getting into Linux himself, right? He's he's new. He's probably the newest member of everybody on the network into Linux. And I think his show offers a really great option for people who are new to Linux and want to go along with Jason as he explores things like gaming and moving his wife over to Linux and those type of things. But I think all the shows, if you combine them, you're going to get pieces and nuggets out of each of them and it'll start filling in the gaps for you. Yeah, and there's also stuff like the DLN Extend podcast, which is a really great. It's it's not like people thought of it as like it's kind of like a recap show. It's not. It's actually a really interesting thing because we talk about the different topics, but there's only so much we can talk about to fit in the show time. But they what they pick out a couple of the ones that we refer to, and then go much deeper into them, and also do their own different separate topics. So it's a really interesting show to check out for the same kinds of reasons that you might learn a new different. Uh, applications or different techniques to do certain things, and uh, also to talk about the things of in this in this email, the, the questions you're going to like, what's uh, you know what distro to start with, how Linux differs from Mac and Windows, and the difference between the different desktop environments and that kind of thing. I mean, these topics we could put on this show. So, like the next episode, I think we could fit one of those in there, and we could have a discussion about like what different, uh, you know, what's the best distro to start with, that and idea. that kind of thing. Yeah. So we'll do that for a future episode. We love hearing from our worldwide community. We have many ways for you to, for your voice to be heard. You can send a short email or video that may get incorporated into the show. Send your video links or comments to comments at destinationlinux.org. OpenShot 2.5 has a major release this week. The biggest change is that we're going to get a lot of people excited is hardware acceleration. Now, in episode 125, we talked with Jonathan Thomas of OpenShot. We got a tease of hardware acceleration that it was coming soon, but now we have it. It's important to note that hardware acceleration is still in the experimental stage and is showing yields of 30 to 40% faster on MP4 and H.264 video. Some additional features include Final Cut Pro and Premiere Pro file type support, save file recovery, rewritten keyframe systems, blender integration, improved thumbnail generation, and better SVG handling. We're excited to see some of these new features appearing in OpenShot. If you haven't given it a try lately, there's no better time to give OpenShot a shot. No pun intended there. Now, the thing about OpenShot is this. We have needed a true open source Linux video editor for a long time. And if it's a true open source editor that can be cross-platform, that's going to be largely beneficial to people because it doesn't matter what platform you're starting on, you're going to have access to free video editing software. One of the things we deal with with clients all the time, I, I run into this probably on a weekly basis. People come to me and they say, hey, we want you to uh, we want to edit this video. We want to throw something together like this. In fact, I was just dealing with this yesterday uh, over at the radio station. We're doing, we have the exclusive sports streaming rights for a major uh, a hockey tournament. And my program director came to me and he said, hey, I want to edit this video together. We just need to combine this audio with this video. What's the best way to do that? Now, in this particular case, we went with um, Lightworks because that's what I'm familiar with and it's what we've used and it's a true professional tool. But certainly as OpenShot continues to develop their feature set and become more advanced and more capable of a video editor, it's going to become a real opportunity. It's going to become a real option for people that want to use this to, uh, to, to, to bang out some simple projects. Yeah, I'm very excited about this because if you remember back in episode 125, Jonathan is doing this full time now. Mm-hmm. So now we're starting to see the yield of having a full time developer involved in OpenShot. So for all of those of you who are fans of OpenShot and have been supporting the project, thanks to people like you, 
we are now getting some of these awesome features that are getting layered in. And to Noah's point specifically, Final Cut Pro and Premiere Pro file type support is really important for people who are looking to come over to open source. They're wanting to maybe explore Linux or maybe they just want open source software on their Windows machine. But either way, we're starting to hook them into it. But if they take their video files that they've used forever in Adobe and they try to load it into a video editor that's open source and none of it works and it doesn't translate and they have to learn a new interface, they're probably just going to go, you know what? It's not time for me. I don't have time for this. I need to get back to making videos. I'm going to go back to Final Cut Pro. But now we have the ability here built in where they can just open that file and start editing it, editing it within OpenShot, which is awesome. The hardware acceleration, I cannot stress enough. And I believe we covered this in 125 as well about how important it is, especially if you're somebody who's built a machine, who does a lot of video editing and encoding and those type of things to have something like hardware acceleration turned on where it's not just done in the software. It's going to speed up production a ton. And if you think about all the shows that we do on this network from Noah, me, Michael, all of this stuff, all these shows we have to produce and get out and edit every 5, 10, 15 minutes counts. That's 15 minutes away from my family that I don't have to worry about if I can get stuff encoded and done and uploaded. So these changes, while they may seem small to some, are massively important. And it's enough to have me go in there and check out the hardware acceleration uh, in OpenShot to see how far it's come along. Now, it is still an experimental stage. So it's important to remember that some cards, you may have to go back to software acceleration because maybe the support's not there yet. But for the ones that they do have 40% faster, that's that's nothing to write off right there. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, I mean, the hardware acceleration is the a fantastic thing that they're adding because it's a, a fundamental importance to, you know, just saving time in video editing. And this is such a drastic difference in what you, because you could go from making it, it could take hours to render down to 30 minutes or something. Like the, the difference between the two is just ridiculous. So it's awesome that OpenShot is doing that. And I also like the files, the file recoveries thing, because they have like, you know, you, you save your file and every once in a while something bad happens, like your power goes out and the file gets corrupted or something like that. They actually have like this, this recovery system for like sort of like a snapshot system, but not exactly. And it's just a really cool thing that they added into it because that's a very important thing because you don't want to spend six, seven hours of editing and all of a sudden your save file is corrupted. You're like, but I saved it. I, I that's, I saved it. And then you're like now, but this is like fantastic that they've added that. So I like to bring that up because that's probably the number one reason why people leave things like Caden live in the past is because of the save file recovery issues, right? They'll say it crashes, they lose their work. And if you've ever sat there and edited a video, that's an hour in length, just an hour. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you lose all your work and you have to restart it over again. Cause an hour video, you at least double or triple it to edit it because you're stopping every few minutes to put something in, to put text in, to take something out, to remove a pause, whatever it is. So, it, it, you know, one hour video is two to three hours of editing. Imagine all of a sudden your screen crashes and you've lost all your work. It's unacceptable. You can't live without something like save file recovery. So it's a huge feature they added there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I think most of the editors are now adding that. So that's fantastic. Uh, but it is great to see OpenShot doing it. Also, the Blender integration is really cool. So check that out if you haven't seen it before. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm glad that OpenShot is putting this much effort into it and working on these important features. And if you haven't used it before, you should definitely give it an open shot. Unlike Noah, pun intended. Wow. Just wow. So speaking of Blender integration, Blender 
2.82 has actually released a new version. So we have, uh, this is actually kind of interesting because Blender has been around for 30 years, but they're still on two point whatever. Just side note. But it's one of the best examples of open source software because it's been around that long and it is a fantastic piece of software. I mean, for those who are not aware, Blender is a 3D computer graphics software. It's also 3D modeling. It even has like visual uh, art, visual effects and like motion graphics and you can do Ver- ver- various different things you could there's even animated vi- films created with it and you could do video video editing inside of it uh, all kinds of stuff it's a fantastic application i mean it's a little bit of like a swiss army knife uh, but it's also like just totally awesome i mean you have to learn different things depending what mode you're in but blender is so powerful that it is you know it's a staple of you know, visual visual effects industry and all kinds of stuff. Blender is a yeah, fantastic... Yeah, it's a tool that you can use in open source and make a career out of it eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Meaning if you became really good with Blender and some of the portions of it, there are careers out there where they're looking for people who are Blender creators for 3D art, for animations, for motion graphics, for developing computer games mm-hmm. even. It's just one of the most amazing tools. I think it's one of the best examples of open source software that kicks the tail out of closed source alternatives out there. I think it's an amazing program and I think everybody should look at getting involved or playing with it or learning it for some, one of the elements that it does really well, including OpenShot creating titles and all of the intro screens you see in a lot of YouTube videos and things. All that can be done in Blender. It's amazing. Yeah, Blender is awesome. And in fact, Blender was open source before the term open source existed. So like it's just it's a fantastic program and then they've they've they, you can do so much with it, it's kind of ridiculous in a good way. But the latest version of two point eighty two has been released with even more great features. They have a brand new physically uh, based liquid and gas simulation system. Uh, using Mantaflow and other stuff for like that. What a really cool thing is they've made a lot of improvements to their cloth physics and cloth physics is a very important thing to make something look realistic. I, I never really paid attention to, I, to like what this stuff does until I started like watching some videos about like visual effects artists explaining different pieces. And they talked about cloth physics being a very important piece to know, like to kind of tell if it's like generated versus an actual person wearing something. And the cloth physics has been very important. It's like a very subtle thing but also incredibly important to give you realism. You, you know what this reminds me of? If you you remember when Final Fantasy games came out and they had the animations in between? Oh yeah. And you would have the hair of the characters moving. It looked like each individual hair was kind of flowing when the wind would blow or things like that. Mm-hmm. And it really brought you into the game unlike anything else you had seen before. I think Final Fantasy was that moment where I realized that subtle stuff in the background, not just having like a flat model hair do, but having all these things moving and and interacting with each other created such an element of engagement within a video game and things that was never there before. And that's why them being able to do liquid and gas simulations on a proper scale is so important for people who are doing animation and game development. Yeah, it's very awesome. And also, Blender now supports uh, Pixar's very own open source universal scene description st- structure, which is really awesome. And they have a new a- AI denoiser. So that's really cool. Uh, there's so many things about Blender that, it's, that we could just go on forever. Every release they make, you know, since like the, they've been every time they've made a release in general, it's just great features here and there. But like the 2.80 and plus have just been like just 
great releases and they've like rebuilt a lot of stuff and they've re-implemented their UI and all kinds of things. So just basically every time they come out with a new version, it's like what awesome feature that I have no idea how to use is in this one, you know, like, so it's just, it's a great application. And if you are interested in, in 3d modeling or motion graphics or just whatever, Basically, whatever. Uh, Blender can probably help you with that. So check it out. I actually have multiple videos on my channel. My brother does game development and he does game design and things in Blender. So you can check that out on my channel um, and help for new people. I also have video editing in Blender. So if you're interested in learning some things about Blender, go check that out. I myself am very much a noob in this tool, but I honestly think everybody's a noob in Blender because there's probably some portion of the Swiss Army knife you don't know. Um, So it's just, it's such a great tool to learn out there. Now you can pick up the latest version today on a rolling release. If you have a rolling release like Arch, you can just go download it or Solus and, and have it there. Uh, if you're on an LTS distro, you're going to need to grab the Snap or Flatpak version to experience the the changes that are there now. But I, I wanted to talk about, Hopi was out there and he tweeted his annoyance with R Linux recently regarding the discussion on the Blender 2.82 release because... In the comments in our Linux, instead of talking about Blender and all the awesome things they're doing, there was a Manjaro user, I think, out there who said, hey, but you guys can't get it on your LTS release. And then the rest of the discussion was all about package management and, well, you can get it on snaps, but snaps aren't great or I don't like flat packs and all that kind of stuff out there. Curious what your thoughts are on this. You've got this fantastic tool. It's got this new release. LTS versions don't have it, but Snap fixes that. So why is this a big deal? I mean, it's it's. I don't think it's a big deal. I think Snaps and App Images and Flatpaks solve so much of the headaches. I mean, they make some distributions that previously were like considered boutique distributions of usable because they bring all these applications that previously weren't available. So. In my opinion, these formats are fantastic. Even if there's, you know, issues or you know, there's pros and cons in all of them. But even with any of the cons, I don't see really a reason to be, you know, against them because they bring so much value. Even the small cons that exist, this they bring so much value to the platform that I, I love all of them. So, you know, me as as somebody who's into, I'm a huge believer in rolling distros. I do not have this love for the LTS and and I have many reasons for that, but the software update because of snaps and flat packs removes a lot of my argument, right? Because you can get the latest software thanks to those things existing. Before that, you would be sitting for six months perhaps before you got the latest Blender version rolled into your distro. And I think that's a shame because people coming to Linux who specifically want to use something like Blender, maybe they want to get into this open source tool can't use it because they're on some old version that nobody uses anymore that's six months old dismissing all the features that they need. But snaps Mm -hmm. and flat packs and universal packages fix that. I just really think as a community, we need to stop the argument uh, because it does take away from the importance of something like what Blender's doing here. And because Blender adopted the universal package, that's the last thing we really want them seeing on their review of their new tool that they released is a bunch of people whining about random stuff. Yeah, especially things that are good for the platform. You know, all the formats are good for the platform uh, ultimately. So that, that I agree that it's we don't want people to, to make software in one of these formats and they get yelled at because they didn't pick the right format or whatever. Like that mentality is just a, it's just detrimental, really. Uh, but I I think that there's uh, there's 
so many good things about these pla- these formats that we should actually just you know applaud the work put into them. Because if you went to another distro, you may not have that software right. available in their repos. For instance, Solus becomes so much more viable because mm-hmm. of Snaps and Flatpaks. Because EOPKG, it's limited. It's got a lot of great software, don't get me wrong. A lot of what I needed was there. But there were a few things that I need that were not. And thanks to Flatpaks and Snaps and App Images, boom, I've got them. Now EOPKG is no longer a hurdle for me. This is amazing. This is something that should be celebrated. Now, if we get into hardware, completely different story, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> exactly. If you're a part of our Destination Linux Telegram group, then you may have started to notice pictures of the Pine64 Pine phone appearing from nice. various users. Of course, the great news is that people are receiving their Braveheart Edition phones. This son's mine. And they appear to be working quite well. I can attest to that. This $149 phone has support for Ubuntu Touch, Nemo Mobile, Sailfish OS, Postmarket OS, KDE Neon, Aurora OS, Loon OS, Replicant Manjaro, and so many more. And the special thing about Pine64 is that this software support is created by the distros themselves receiving phones and making software for the hardware rather than the other way around. So to kind of get into that, you got the phone ahead of time in a dev kit yes in, as I part received, of the ubuntu touch where are we here it is i received the dev kit of this board um which is a little bit larger than the production phone <laughs> um just a little and a little bit less comfortable to hold and it, <laughs> as well as the 1.0 revision whereas braveheart is 1.1 it had a few changes compared to the developer unit and if we peel off the back as you mean the cover comes off the back of the phone so you can replace stuff? Mm-hmm. OMG. You have, of course, your battery. I'm covering up the modem because it has uh, IMEIs and stuff on it. But you can see here are six dip switches, which can be used to enable or disable various hardware parts of the phone. For example, if you really don't want your modem to be on, you can switch it off there. Of course, flight mode also works, but... If you want the physical option, it is there for you. Gosh, that is awesome. Yeah. Also comes with six pogo pins you might see there if you're on the video version. And those can be used to tap into the I-squared C bus, which is a low bandwidth uh, bus for communicating with peripherals, such as the keyboard that Pine64 wants to make, as well as power in and out from the phone. So you can power the phone from a special case or the phone can power your special item. That'll be fun. Yeah, It'll be fun awesome. to see where people take that because 3D models of the back cover are already available, so people can already start making those. I've seen some printed versions already. What does this mean for Ubuntu Touch as a product? Because it, to me, seems like you finally have this platform that will allow you to go as far as your imagination, like the additional peripherals and things that you're talking about. It really allows you to explore from a software standpoint like never before in my mind, but I want to hear it from you. Yes. So to say why it's different, first, you kind of need to look at what we have to do to be on phones like this OnePlus One that happens to be on my desk. In order to run on there, we use the Android Linux kernel, which is not mainline. It was taken by Qualcomm and then taken by OnePlus to modify it for use in Android. And we use the closed source binary drivers that come with Android so that we can like display on the screen and important stuff like that (laughs) now say that again because i don't think people realize they a lot of people will say well android's an 
open source operating system. They, but there are parts of it specifically that are closed source that if you don't use those parts, you're not going to get a phone to even display an image. Right. So too long, don't listen is Android system is architected so that vendors don't need to touch the GPL code of the Linux kernel as much as possible. So if you are to look in the Android kernel and things are changing, things are getting better, but for older devices, it was much worse. If you look in the kernel source, you find that there are drivers for like serial uh, communication with hardware rather than all the commands that you send to the hardware. It's just the ability to communicate with the hardware. And that's an important distinction because then the actual commands that are sent to the hardware are done in a closed source binary that runs inside of Android. All of Android is kind of architected around this model and it keeps vendors in the Apache licensed area of Android rather than the GPL licensed Linux kernel. Right. The, the more permissive thing where they don't have to worry about whether they're providing source code or anything, you know, that, mm-hmm. that kind of. Approach. And of course, there are vendors that just ignore the GPL, but yeah, it is getting to be better news in that area as Google has realized that that actually takes a lot of maintenance overhead and a lot of money to not contribute to the Linux kernel. So vendors are now starting to use more mainline kernels. We saw the 4.4 release of the kernel is going to be released for um, a really long time. So vendors are starting to use that more directly. And Google is working on making Android more mainline friendly. However, it's not the same as the PinePhone, where it's all-winner A64 quad-core processor is basically entirely usable from regular mainline Linux. If you just have a straight 5.5 kernel, it can boot on this device, for example, which isn't always common among Android devices. And things like the modem in Android devices, the modem is part of the CPU um, complex, the system on a chip, and it's very tightly integrated and difficult to communicate with in some cases. Whereas with this device, the modem is this entirely separate big block of a chip that I'm putting my finger over here, which communicates over USB and serial with the rest of the device. So we're able to just talk to that, get audio back, things like that in a much simpler way than using the Android radio implementation. This is really good for us because it works more like a Linux desktop computer. Not exactly, but more like a lot of the drivers are available for us. And there's a huge community around it already that is working on making it better. And you don't have to reverse engineer. That's kind of what I'm hearing when you talk. Like with with Android you're in some ways reverse engineering to figure out how they're communicating because portions of it are open, portions of it are closed. Here, everything is there for you to play with and communicate with as you need through the software. Mm-hmm. And to me, I, I kind of feel like this is going to be the flagship device. Maybe I'm uh, putting words in your mouth, but I feel like this could be a flagship device for Ubuntu Touch for a lot of people who wanted to get into it but don't necessarily want to go buy an old used phone from somebody else. This is the device you could recommend and say, go pick one of these up, put a bunch of touch on it. Boom, you've got everything we've done, all the work we've done right there. Mm-hmm. We aren't completely getting rid of our Android options. The Android phones that we have are admittedly higher spec and um, faster than the PinePhone itself. What the PinePhone represents is an ease for developers, a easy point to get into, and a lot, a lot 
of options for people to try out. So with like an Android phone, like the OnePlus uh, One, or maybe the Xperia X is a better example. It's, you can run Ubuntu Touch, you can run Android, and there's tons of Android ROMs, and there aren't a lot of other options. Whereas with the Pine phone, you have all of the options that I listed earlier, and you can try all of them just by swapping in your SD card. It'll boot wow. straight from SD. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and also that means, uh, in theory, you could have two different, you could dual boot the phone. So you could have one flashed onto it, mm-hmm. and then also the SD card. And you could, I guess, in a way, just, like just the have, Pinebook Pro. Yeah, you could have multiple SD cards, and you could just play with all of them just by swapping out whichever one you want. Like that's an awesome thing to even think about in the sense of like we, you know, we've always wanted a Linux powered phone, and yes, the Android kernel is based on Linux, but it's it's always been like uh, you know, it's it's like a dirty implementation sort of. So it I, feels that way when you're a desktop Linux user. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I, I, when every time I'm like, I'm using Android, I'm like, yeah, but it's not really Linux and it's, uh, eh. but the, uh, the, it is, but it isn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the Pine phone just provides such a interesting path that the, you know, the Linux user could take by using a phone that has extra genuine Linux system. And also the fact that they're doing this where they're collaborating with all the different projects is such an awesome thing because I would like to have a Linux phone and I've been wanting that for years. But having a phone that also recognizes that Linux's biggest value is that you can you have the freedom to choose whatever you want to put on it. And they acknowledge that and they also took the effort to collaborate with and send all the devices to everybody to help. Ahead of time. Yeah, ahead of time. And also like they... I think that there was even before they even announced that they were even making it, they still they contacted all the different projects and tried to get them yes. to p- participate and stuff. Like the effort that they like from day one, they were like, "We want to make sure that the value of Linux stays with this phone," and that is such an awesome thing that I mean, they're. It's just an awesome thing that they're doing with the phone and with the company. It's like, I I, I might sound like a fa- a, a, a pine fanboy, but um, I, I'm okay with that. You know what? I'm okay with it too. Being a fanboy of Pine is a fun place to be because they have great project management and they also have great community outreach. They understand the value of marketing and talking and helping people mm-hmm. understand what they're doing in a very clear and concise manner. I'm interested, Dalton, in what are some of the things that impressed you the most having the Braveheart? Now, the Braveheart is named Braveheart for those who don't know, because you have to be brave to take it on. It's more of a developer version of the phone. It made that very clear from the very beginning. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. That's what it's for. But what are some things that kind of took you your breath away out of the box with the phone, impressed you? Out of the box, it feels pretty good in the hand. I mean, you expect to get you know, everyone's had a cheap Chinese Android phone before. I'm snapping the back on. I apologize. But everyone's felt that feeling before. This feels like a nice phone. It feels like it's meant to be a phone. Um, <laughs> it's it's not like a watered down version of an Android device. It's like feels like a solid phone that you would expect to pay, you know, maybe even more money for. Right. And of course, it's impressive. You can take it off. There are 11 Nine, nine screws that you take out the back and you can pull the mid frame off and then you're on you're at the motherboard you can replace or remove that as well very cool and on that motherboard we are featuring an all winner a64 two gigabytes of ram 16 gigabytes of storage um and of course the micro sd card the modem which contains gps and different sensors for things like light a five megapixel rear shooter and 
three megapixel front. How's the yeah. screen? Because today screens are, you know, have gotten very beautiful, whether you're on iPhone or Android, you got the latest phones, the screens are just gorgeous. The colors, everything else. Does the phone with $149 get saturated? Does the screen look saturated compared to some of the competitors or is it good? Again, it's surprising for the price, I'll say. Surprising for the price price and the fact that it's their first try. I really like the screen, but I'm not going to say that it's better than the screen on my XPS, um, which costs 10 times the price. Right. Absolutely. Basically, you're not going to feel like you didn't get your money's worth for $150, I think, if you're expecting to be playing with Linux on a new phone form factor rather than to have this device as a daily driver right now. So what are the things that don't work right now? Yep, that's an important place to go. So currently all of our communities are working on things like calls. So calls are functional. We can talk to the modem, but it requires work to set it up and it's not the most efficient that it could be. There are people working on kernel drivers, which make it so much better and hooking all that up. And every operating system has its own list of things which work or do not work. And it's important to go to the Pine64 wiki, wiki wiki.pine64.org, and head to the PinePhone section to learn more about those before you even consider buying. Ew, reading, gross. Especially (laughs) manuals and stuff. Ugh. Yeah, no way. (laughs) The wiki is very well written. Maybe I say that because I write and edit it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So the, the idea is that all of these because it's a developer version of phone, all of these things that they work, but you have to go in like a developer and make sure you set it up properly and probably put some code in place, make some config file changes and stuff for it. All that's going to be worked out before the actual version that's meant for consumers goes out the door, I would assume. Correct. So Braveheart has shipped. Currently, the phone is out of stock. So until we have an operating system that is ready to be used as a daily driver, or at least can be marketed as, yeah, you are you can use this as a phone. We aren't releasing the official version. And I say we because we're all a member of the Pine64 community. That's a little weird to uh, think about. We can talk about that more later. For now, phone's out of stock. You're not able to buy it unless you buy it used from someone already, but I don't think anyone's given it up. Um, <laughs> exactly. And it'll come actually, out. Actually, my, my, I have a Braveheart edition. Mine is for sale for $1,900. Nice. What a good deal. Let let me ask you this. So we're talking a little bit about day-to-day phones, and this is something where it's what keeps me from really emotionally buying into this process, right? Because you know Android exists out there, you know iOS, and and I feel like anybody who has used one of these platforms, when they pick up the Pine phone for the first time and they flash Sailfish OS or they have a flash Ubuntu Touch on it, they flash Nemo, they're just not going to have the same experience and the same kind of, you know, paper cut free experience that they would have if it was a um, a well-known, I guess we'll say, a traditional mobile operating system. And so is is this the path that, that the community at large is taking? Maybe not even uh, specifically Pine, but just the, the alternate phone community. Are they looking to make daily driver style phones that this is the phone that people and the only phone that people carry in their pocket? Or is it always going to be a companion device? Um, absolutely, it's meant to be a daily driver, at least for Ubuntu Touch. And it's what I do every day. I carry an Xperia X with Ubuntu Touch all the time and don't carry any other Android devices or any or how, iOS how devices. Long, Stop. <laughs> how long have you no, how long have you been able to live on on Ubuntu Touch uh, solely without the help of Android or iOS? I started, what was it, January of last year? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. So over a year now. And have you found and so is the is the Pine phone something that you could see yourself switching from the uh, from the Sony Xperia or is it not there yet? It's not there yet, but when it is, yes, absolutely. And do you think that will be a better experience than the Sony Xperia because the Sony Open device, I mean, they're doing a lot of things right. Mhm. Absolutely. It'll be an excellent device. It has a larger screen than the Xperia, which I didn't think I would like, but I actually do. And it runs it'll become more optimized over time. It's I'm not going to pretend that it's as high end as the Xperia mm-hmm. X, but I'm also not going to say that I won't carry it. But you know what's interesting about Pine though is they've built so much trust with the community. And when you look at the 100%. first when you look at the first Pine book and then you look at the Pine Book Pro. Personally, yep. I would never have bought the Pine Book. It's just I get why oh, people love it, and it's a great little device for what it was, mm-hmm. but it wasn't something I personally would have gotten a lot of value out. Why? Then the, why? Because of the low end specs and the screen resolution was just to me way okay. too dull. It did not. It didn't feel. Sure, sure I can. I see mean, that. it was a ninety nine dollar laptop, and it yeah. it was but great it functioned for what like it a three hundred dollar laptop, but it was still a ninety nine dollar laptop. Right, but to be yeah. to be fair, like this is kind of interesting because Ryan was talking about how he would not, you know, he wouldn't have purchased it anyway. But when I did bring it the the original Pine Book to you, you did actually were impressed by it. So I was impressed by it, and I think it was great for what it was. But then you look right. at the Pine Book Pro, and now. I have a hundred and ninety nine dollar laptop that feels like a four and five hundred dollar laptop yeah, that right. I've gotten out there, and that was a complete right. game changer. So what mm. I'm saying is, I expect this first iteration of the Pine Phone to be amazing and be a lot of people can adapt it, especially from a security and privacy standpoint. But it, then you may get, I'm sure, something like the the Pro version where they may come out and actually compete with the Sony's and all that stuff. Because once they figure this out all of these little issues and bugs, then it's just a matter of, hey, we're going to put higher end hardware in it and we're going to charge you a little more for it. And it'll probably be some ridiculously reasonable price like everything else they've done in there. Now, they've never said that. That's me just talking, but I assume it's a natural progression that they've done right. before with their laptops. And it makes sense. Of course. Yeah. Right now we're saying, let's get the first revision of the phone out and as a daily driver first. But of course, the future holds what it holds. That's right. all I'll say on that. Right. I mean, it, it makes sense that they would want to, if it if it was successful and, it, and they made a good product, they would want to continue to make it even better because that's the whole point of making products. You want to make sure that you have. And if you can the read between options. the lines, Dalton just basically said Pine Foam Pro confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> if this one works out, of course. Love it. Yeah. But yeah, I I can't wait to try out mine, and I also want to like get like a custom case that I'm going to make for like you know Braveheart William Wallace. Mine's just going to have a picture of Bubbly on the back. No, hmm. no. Hey, Noah, would you like my new bubbly case I'm going to design for your Pine phone? Absolutely. Okay, awesome. <laughs> I've at least got I, one uh, sold. Let me, let me ask you, that, just before we move on, Dalton, how, how long start to finish does it take to, to flash uh, Ubuntu Touch onto the Pine phone? Have you used a Raspberry Pi before? Yes. That long. Really? Because it's, it's flashing an image to an SD card, putting it in the phone and booting it up. At the moment, like I said, I know what I'm doing when I get off the air. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Trying to find someone to sell a used one. Can I do the peak of laziness, Dalton? Would you shoot me a? Uh, There's a, none in a stock. No. The, no, I have the Pine has one. You have I, it. I, I, you, you, you have one. He said it I earlier. Didn't know you had one. <laughs> I didn't hear you. Had there one. he goes. You've got one. How are you going to edit this? Bye, I, Noah. I don't know. This part, I don't know. He's going to get the phone. That's what he's doing. He is. Yes. He is going yeah. to get it. Yeah. Oh, welcome back. Hi. So where do we start from in order to get the edit right? Does anyone have any idea? Right now, Michael figured out. 
We don't worry about that. We just let Michael do it. <laughs> Basically what happens. <laughs> yeah. I figure it out. Is this the first unboxing? It yeah. is an unboxing. I have an, I have an no, it's yeah. not the first unboxing. You didn't have the plastic yes, it on it. What? It does have yeah, it's got the plastic right there. Look. <gasps> Ooh, peel. Never peel for us. Will you peel it for us? By the mic. By the mic so we can hear it. Oh, that sound is so amazing. Oh, oh that is the greatest sound ever. I love it. All right. Okay, so, so yeah, Ryan I, just uh, made you do ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it does. It feels really, really good. I uh, yeah. It doesn't have All right, C. so it throws Type C. All right, okay, good. So now I know what I'm doing after I'm done. We'll see. So Noah, you just got the phone out to prove a point mm-hmm. that you have the phone. Now, what are your th- serious first impressions holding the phone? Yeah, my first impressions are are literally it feels. I would equate this ninety five percent of the way to a Google Pixel. You know, wow. there's no there's no rough edges. The you know it's it's round, all the way around the phone. Even you know Dalton said he took the back off. Really. It's hard to explain, but the back, how do I, how do I demonstrate this? The There's back a corner really on the comes, lower right. Yeah. It comes all the way up to the screen, lower right. Yeah. Ah, the back comes all the way up to the screen. So you see where it separates there. The, the back of the phone isn't really the back of the phone. It's really the entire chassis of the phone. And it, and it separates where the screen meets, meets the casing around it. So the, so it doesn't the, look the like edge, somebody it, manually milled it to get the, the phone yes, out. It, it looks it, like something exactly. came off a production line, right? Right, and and then the back becomes it's smooth all the way around uh, where your hand would fit. So no, I, I again much like the much like the uh, Pine uh, Pinebook Pro, where I say it's a two hundred dollar laptop feels like a five hundred dollar laptop. This is a two hundred dollar phone that feels like a five or six hundred dollar phone easily. Now, one thing I saw, which is amazing in the community as well, is that people are getting their phones and they're doing reviews on it immediately. So there are a lot of reviews. But I noticed when you take off the cover, the first thing you're going to need to do, Noah, is pull out a tab. That's keeping the battery from connecting because if you don't, then you're going to be trying to power it on and charge it and go, you know, hey, why is this I'll thing not powering on? Yeah. I'll tell you what's funny about that. I uh, I got one for my son and he couldn't figure out how to turn his on and he said the battery was dead, so he was going to charge it. And you're right. There is a little pet tab here. That's funny. Yep. I would have never thought to uh, to take the phone apart when I first got it. Well, that was what's interesting about one of the individuals who were doing the video review. They said it's been so long since they've had a phone that you could replace and remove the back and replace things exactly. like the battery that they weren't <laughs> exactly. they had lost their familiarity with that that option and it just it's it's insane cuz now nobody can oh, get into go. their phones. Right. Man, this is a good feeling phone. Yeah. All right, Dalton. So what can we look forward to from your team in the near future with the Pine phone. So right now we're still tracking down some uh, performance issues on the phone, which thankfully are uh, being found and solved as well as lengthening the battery life of the thing. We've gotten to 12 hours of standby, which is still not where it needs to be, but we know that and we're always getting better here. I mean, it's awesome. not bad. It's, you know, I've, there's there's some phones that come it's out. It's not the worst. An hour, but it's also so. not Android phone level. Yeah, right. I love that you guys are using that as a standard instead of just making an excuse. Well, hey, it's brand new, and we'll just find twelve hours is fine. Just deal with it. You're like, no, we need to get no. it to the industry standard. We, We're going to keep working on it till we get it there. The hardware can handle this. We need to make it happen. Nice. I love it. I love that attitude. 
One of my favorite Debian-based distros is MX Linux, and they have a brand new release out this week, 19.1. Now, normally this is where we talk about, hey, they updated some applications, they made a few tweaks to the interface, and there's new wallpapers, and everyone goes, yeah, that's so exciting, but not this time. Dolphin has done something I've been begging, pleading, getting on soapboxes about for someone in the Linux community to do outside of the rolling distro realm. And I am so excited about this and not surprised at all that it's coming from the innovation of Dolphin and those that work on MX. So I'm going to read it from their words directly from the update notes. Due to the increasing presence of users with newer hardware, particularly newer AMD or Intel hardware, with this release, in addition to the standard 32-bit and 64-bit ISOs with 4.19 LTS kernels, we are producing a third ISO. So we found a solution to this problem that nobody else seemed to be able to fix. It was impossible that we're calling Advanced Hardware Support or AHS. AHS is a 64-bit and ships with Debian 5.4 kernel with the latest Mesa 19.2 as well on the new X server drivers and various recompiled apps that will utilize the newer graphics stack. So now AHS has been out there before. Now it's enabled by default. I am just beyond over the moon. Michael sent this to me last night and was like, hey, I think you'll find this interesting. Yes. Yes, <laughs> I find it interesting. Right? Because we're finally not marketing Linux to, hey, if you only have computers from 1984, use Linux. Now you can actually get hardware that, by the way, this isn't brand new cutting edge hardware that just came out yesterday. We're talking hardware that's been released six to eight months ago, and you can run it on Linux. And if we're going to talk about people ditching Windows 7 and coming to Linux, you probably need to be able to support the hardware. Just a thought. Just a thought. And in the biggest growing hardware market out there, AMD, you know, taking 35% of the market when they only had 16, maybe we should support it. It's just a thought. Maybe. I don't know. And Intel is kind of important. I'm, I, just, I just want to give a huge thanks to MX. And I've loved MX. It's been on my top of my website, top favorite distributions. It's been out there forever. And this just renews it. And I can't wait to put MX on all of my hardware out there and try out what they've done here. They've done something. The indie developers are doing things that the big giant distros that represent Linux don't. They don't. And they act like it's an impossible task. Like, how could we do this? It'll make everything unstable. I don't know. Release an ISO that actually has the drivers in there so people can use the product. It's weird. I know. But here it is. They were able to do it. And I'm just over the moon about it. Yeah. So it is awesome that they're doing. There are other distributions that also do this. But it's really nice that they're doing a, you know, they're, they know that people want to use MX but they weren't able to do it. And now they're acknowledging that and giving that option. And it's great. It's it's similar to how Papa West puts effort into the hardware support and all, some other distros put effort into hardware support. But it's just great to see that distributions, especially one based on Debian, and let's face it, Debian uh, is not known for having the latest, greatest hardware support, uh, you know, every three or four years maybe, but typically not in general. So it's great that a distribution that's, that's you know focused on using Debian is also a taking consideration that you know this this hardware is important and having support and getting people to transition from Windows to Linux and they're and also especially considering like these this this new AMD stack has been like so hyped that a lot of people are getting it including myself and Ryan got it. And he's part, partly part of the, the hyping part, but still. Uh, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But there's 
like there's a lot of people who are interested in it and not having that support is not, you know, not ideal. So it's awesome to see distros like MX putting in the effort to make that support possible. And uh, yeah, so thank you thank for you, making Dolphin. that. I love your face. I love your face. <laughs> That's a weird way of saying, okay, sure. Yep. We're going to keep it. So up next in the show, we're going to go to some gaming topics. And this is actually really fun because there was a Gaming on Linux Best of 2019 poll that was put out to the community. And so that basically it's kind of like, I don't know, I guess it's a sort of Oscars of the gaming world for the Linux the Linux community. And it's really it's really cool that they did it. And pop, so the popular website, GamingOnLinux.com, did this, you know, uh, voting poll system where they put out the options for people to choose what is the game of the year and like the favorite FOSS game and some other stuff, like a whole bunch of categories. But I, I think that there's, there's a lot of, you know, great games that are available on Linux. And this is just a great example of showing like the best of the best. Yeah. I, I love that they've done this. They're, they have a whole bunch of categories. So go definitely check this out. We'll have a link in the show notes of all of the various categories that they have broken out in their games of the year. But Dalton, I wanted to tap into something you sent me right before the show. There was a game there that you seem to love that I want to see if you'll tell the community a little bit about. Oh, geez, you're putting on the spot. Yesterday, I was looking for a cooperative game to play with someone because I like cooperative games because I'm bad at games. I love so that, someone else actually. can play with me. I am better at games. Same. Uh, <laughs> the game that we... <laughs> No, we're not, Michael, because when we play CSGO together, we just both die endlessly. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it so, doesn't always work that way. Well, okay, well, what I was saying is that we're both terrible and need to have co-ops, but we just we we both are bad at it. So it just it just together <laughs> bad at it. So it wasn't really solving it's a problem. Being bad together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. We spend <laughs> half the time laughing and then going, we should have put this live because it would have been great content for people to see how bad we are. <laughs> So the wonderful game that we put, and this will be an ode to a Steam feature as well, is Lovers in a Dangerous Space-Time. Now, Lovers in a Dangerous Space-Time is a cooperative game with one to four players. Uh, If you're alone, you get a friend for you, an AI friend, where you take control of a ship. It is a 2D face-on position camera, and you fly your spaceship around trying to save your space friends and rescue the entire universe from the anti-love. Nice. This game looks so cool. It reminds me of your old school space shooters where you have constant enemies just swarming the screen. You're in this fear-like ship in the video that I saw, and you Mm -hmm. can upgrade different parts, and people are taking care of different things. You know that you're trying to get working on the ship and you're blowing things up all at the same time. And it just looks like an absolute blast to play. The only problem with cooperative games like this and playing them with Michael is I don't want him to live. I want to destroy him on the ship. So part of me is like, do I raise the shield or just let Michael die? Eh, Let's let Michael die. That's fun. So in every ship, there are a different assortment of stations that allow you to fire guns, change the position of the shield, or of course, fly the ship or fire the big screen cleaning gun. Nice. Love it. Nice. And every player can take any of these stations or knock other people off of them. If you want them to get upset. Uh, Perfect. (laughs) That is exactly what Ryan wants. I shouldn't have told you that. Yeah, you push the action button on someone sitting down, you knock them off the seat. Um, <laughs> Perfect. And you can play this either with four controllers connected to one computer, or everyone can have all of their hands on one keyboard, which is fun in its own way. So is there any online play capabilities on this, or is it only local? 
there's no online play, but that is an excellent segue into Steam Remote Play together. So this is a feature that also works on Linux in Steam, where one person has the game and they can stream it to four or more people if they have a really good internet connection. That is Um, so cool. So everyone else can play the game as if they are at the same keyboard and mouse as the person owning the game. And I use this to play the game with a friend that I have in Chile. It's it's a little um a little opposite latitudes. Yeah. And we were playing like we were at the same couch. So it was just an amazing experience and a fun game. The music is awesome. It looks amazing. Save the universe from anti-love. Nice. Love it. And the game is Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. So Yes, it is it on sale now for the Patreon people. I think you're going to miss it in the uh, edited version, but it's totally worth the full price. Nice. Awesome. For our software spotlight this week, I am bringing up Flat Seal. So if you ever wanted to control the individual permissions of flat packs with a nice intuitive GUI, then you need to check out Flat Seal. You can install it as a flat pack, which makes it really convenient. And when you open the software, it gives you fine-tuned controls over all the permissions of every flat pack that you have. You can turn off access by a flat pack to the network, to Bluetooth, to your webcam, to anything that you want there. It's easy to use. It's distro agnostic, and it has a fantastic permissions manager there. If you've used any of the permission managers like in mobile OS or anything, you'll be instantly familiar with how to utilize this tool. So definitely go check out Flat Seal. In light of the discussion of the Pine Phone, maybe you can't afford a Pine Phone, or because they're sold out, maybe you can't buy one and you don't want to buy this off me for $2,500. That's right. The price went up over the course of the episode. Anyway, <laughs> point is, if you might be looking for some privacy. You might be hearing Dalton talk and you're thinking to yourself, man, that privacy sounds good. Well, what if you wanted to prevent your phone from spying on you, one of the things that you can do is you can purchase this device called a mic block. Now, a mic block is essentially a 3.5 millimeter jack that has all four pins of the uh, of the headset jack, and it maps them to basically nothing at the other end. So you can carry this device on your keychain, You can plug it into your cell phone. You can plug it into your laptop. And essentially what it will do is it will tell the computer at a hardware level, send all of the microphone signals from this device. And of course, this device is not generating any microphone signals because it's just a dumb block. You can buy these on Amazon. They're as cheap as $6.99 for a single one, or you can buy a pack of 20, uh, which is what we have linked in the show notes for 20 bucks. And uh, you can have hand them out to your family. That's exactly what I did and said here. Just if you're ever wanting to have a conversation and people act differently when they think they're being watched or when there's a possibility of them being watched. So if you're looking for a cheap and easy way to just uh, give yourself a little extra peace of mind, this is not a bad way to go and it won't cost you a pine phone. And for the iPhone users out there, what you can do is get a dongle that lets you have a 3.5 millimeter jack and then hanging off the dongle, you could still plug it, this in and no, block the No, no, no. This company makes one that has a light, the, your, your silly little <sighs> lightning jack it. and you can just plug that right in. Beautiful. <laughs> so, Thank you, Noah. It is important to note here that phones like that can choose to listen from a different device. So if you don't have just, um, if you have a smarter piece of software on the device, it would be able to still switch the internal headset. And that's where there are apps, uh, for example, on F-Droid to help the problem. Because on Android, at least in older versions, it may have been updated. Only one app could listen to the microphone at any time. So Mm. these apps, and there are some on F-Droid again, um, will listen to the microphone at all times so nothing else can get through. And that's another way that you can 
add another layer well, to your I security. I mean, let's here. be let's be clear. As long as there is a physical micro, I mean, there there are people on forums that are talking about baseband attacks. So even if the 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 phone is completely in the powered down state, is there a way to compromise the baseband? Uh, you know, micro operating system the thing that listens for the power button is there a way to compromise that and have some code that runs at a very fundamental level to grab some signals from the microphone then send it out through the radio i mean the really the only actual way to prevent this is with either removing the radios from the device altogether or having physical switches that disconnect the, the power from it that's the only way you, you're really going to get around it this is more of just kind of like a extra peace of mind yeah mm-hmm. i like it so a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. If you want a behind-the-scenes pass into the making of this show and an opportunity to chat with us live, consider becoming a patron. Our patrons help keep this show going and get perks like access to live recordings and unedited versions of the show. The best part is you can join for just a few dollars. We have Patreon and sponsors as an option you want to join this. There's so much content you're missing if you're not seeing the whole show. Destination Linux Network also has a great way for you to become a part of the community by going to destinationlinux.network and joining the forums. Discuss the shows, the network, all with listeners from around the world in one place. If you're looking for more live chat sessions, and join us on our interactive Telegram group, where we have well over 1,200 members in the community interacting with one another and sharing their passion for Linux. Head over to destinationlinux.network to learn more. And we love hearing from you. So please get back to us and provide some feedback or ask any burning questions you may have. Send us video links or comments to our email address, comments at destinationlinux.org. Please try to keep the comments brief as we may include them in a future episode of the show. Also, do not forget to go to the DLN store and pick up some awesome swag from across the network of podcasts and shows. We have limited edition design that shows off all the founding shows of the Destination Linux network. So you buy one shirt, one sweater, one coffee mug, you get to support every show on the network. So grab yourself a hoodie, the t-shirt, the coffee cups. Many even claim, and I don't know if this is, can be validated or not, we're looking into it, but wearing a deal shirt is a life-changing experience. So that sounds pretty good. If you want some more content, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels. You can check out Ryan by going to fillmystool.com where he has videos on YouTube, on YouTube where he fills your brains with hardware, software, and all things Linux. You can check out my content at tuxmystool.com where we do an in-depth weekly Linux GNUs podcast called This Week in Linux and other Linux-related content. You can check out Noah's content at linuxstool.com where Noah does a weekly talk radio show at 6 p.m. Central on Tuesdays. You can join him and he'll answer all your questions, whether that's tech-related, Linux-related, business-related sometimes, all kinds of stuff at linuxstool.com. And also, you can find Dalton on Twitter at Universal Superbox. And maybe that's not accurate. But So, Dalton, where can people, folks find you? You can find me on Twitter at Universal Superbox without any E's because Twitter name limits. Naturally. So, Universal. Got it. Got it. <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the rest of the Destination Linux Network shows and uh, like Hardware Addicts, Linux for Everyone, DLN Extend, and so much more. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. The destination includes stools. Yes. Naturally. <laughs> <laughs>